This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Here we are joined again by a great friend of the show, Dr. Lou Tumi-Alan at the Barrow Neurologic Institute in Arizona. Um, Dr. Tumi-Alan has been on the show a couple times before. He was one of our first guests way back in the, the early stretch of episodes, um, episode four, I believe, where he talked about some of his military experience and how that's translated to the way he manages things in practice now. And then he was on later as a guest host, if you will, doing a, a wonderful interview of Dr. Volker Sontag. Um, that was episode 86, talking about Dr. Sontag's career and memoir. And I would point all of our listeners to those episodes if you haven't listened to them. They were both great conversations. Dr. Tumilan, it's always great to talk with you. Welcome back to the show. For the setting of this series on military neurosurgery, for our listeners who haven't met you or heard you before, uh, if you could briefly say hello, introduce yourself, and maybe give us a, a short background of what your military service was like. JP, thank you so much for having me back on on, uh, on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Uh, and uh, and with regards to uh, this, I think it's wonderful to have a military segment. We have a lot of, as you know, uh, a lot of neurosurgeons who have served in the in the world's finest military. Uh, and uh, my background uh, began with uh, my uh, making a, a, of, of all things, uh, I, I matched in orthopedic surgery uh, of all mm -hmm. things. Uh, I, I went to Georgetown. I uh, and and the environment there, the the, the mentors uh, and the teaching was 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 tremendous around uh, orthopedic surgery. And so I, I I found myself going down that path. And it wasn't until I did my internship at the Naval Hospital in San Diego that I discovered neurosurgery and said, "Well, this is this is the direction." I, I the enthusiasm I had for orthopedics was more artificial. The enthusiasm I had for neurosurgery was was uh, was genuine. Uh, mm. And the Navy said, oh, we have a place to, we, we, we know where to put someone that changes their mind in the Navy, and that's an operational tour. So I, uh, <laughs> instead of, instead of uh, transitioning from internship to residency in orthopedics, uh, or it, I, my thought was, well, I'll just change my mind and become a, a neurosurgery resident. They go, uh, you're going to do an operational tour. Uh, I went to, I became a dive medical officer. So what did that mean? I went to Groton, Connecticut uh, and did submarine uh, school and radiation school, then Panama City, Florida, where I did dive school. And then I uh, went to the, uh, in 2001, I was at the Naval Special Warfare Unit in Guam, uh, where I served uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, and then uh, through until 2003, at which point I did start my neurosurgery residency. And then once I finished my residency, I completed uh, two years as a, a neurosurgeon in the Navy. So I, I did operational where uh, you, you you do everything from run a recompression chamber on a submarine uh, to uh, setting up a battalion aid station uh, in the middle of a, of, of a jungle in Thailand or or Sri Lanka, uh, and then going back and, and in the aftermath of uh, the surge in Iraq and Afghanistan, doing uh, tragically uh, all the medevacs that came in uh, doing a lot of cranial plasties, tragically for for the the individuals who had suffered traumatic brain injuries, uh, and in the and then the in the forward uh, arena, uh, they would have decompressive hemicraniectomies without the bone flap deposition into the into the abdomen because of the risk of infection in theater, mm. uh, and, and um, all the medevacs that would come in typically on Thursday from Germany. So that that briefly is uh, my military service over the span of eleven years. 
Sure. And we thank you for that service. That's a wonderful breadth of experience that uh, you can bring to your practice each day, as, as we've discussed before. Um, I, I love that you note the radiation training that you had uh, early on and that uh, that history you gave us. I, I may have mentioned this to you before. The first time I was ever exposed to you, Dr. Tumilan, was at a spine section meeting. You were involved in a debate about um, intraoperative navigation versus freehand. And, and I think you were representing fluoroscopy and you you did a wonderful breakdown on ways to actually reduce radiation exposure during instrumentation. And you actually gave doses and grays and, and really proved your point uh, with you know speaking from the experience that you have. And I really enjoyed that. Um, but the, the topic of today's discussion, which I thought you'd be a perfect candidate to uh, kind of flesh this out for our listeners, is giving orders. You know, in, in the civilian side of things, in a medical setting, we use the word orders for when we put in medications or uh, different interventions, communications to nursing, et cetera. And within neurosurgery and within residency and our hierarchy and leadership structure, we have instructions that are given. We have seniors and juniors, attendings, and, and there is a hierarchy and there is sometimes we take on a quasi military mindset about passing orders down the chain of command, if you will. But you've obviously come from a true military structure, a true chain of command where the culture, the power, the legal impact of receiving an order from a superior officer is very different. So maybe to kind of kick this off, could you explain to us? On the civilian side of things, you know, we watch TV, we watch movies, but what is it like from the perspective of the junior officer or enlisted man, when you receive an order from a superior, what is that really like in a military setting? Well, I, I think it, it's it's going to be um, somewhat a surprise to hear how that evolved uh, with regards, because I, I think we, we we all think of that that rigid hierarchy of structure. And yeah. I was in the military when we actually evolved from that. And no one captures that better than Stanley McChrystal in his book, Team of Teams. Um, the, the orders that, it, it's not so much of an order as much as a vision is put forth. And, th and this are the lessons learned from uh, particularly Iraq uh, and Afghanistan, where the what, what Stanley McChrystal discusses is a shared consciousness. You, mm. you, you have to understand the overall objective, the mission that is trying to be accomplished, the goal that is being that needs to be achieved. And in doing so, all of a sudden, when you have that shared consciousness, it's not that you don't need orders, you need guidance, but you're trying to empower your team to, it's called empowered execution, where you, you want individuals as close to the front, as close to the, the, the fray to be able to be empowered to make decisions that are consistent with the uh, achieving the objective. And I think uh, along this military theme, you, you, you take a look at right now the the uh, this tragic horrific uh war in in ukraine and you see the the success that the ukrainians are having because i believe as i in my very amateur analysis of of what i read on a day-to-day -day basis is that you have a shared consciousness 
you have empowered execution by the Ukrainians, and you have that rigid hierarchy structure and, you know, broken morale and many factors, but that rigid hierarchy structure where a, a, a Russian unit is not able to pivot or make a decision in the same way that a Ukrainian unit appears to be. And that to me, what I see there is a perfect example of shared consciousness and empowered execution. When you have empowered execution, then the individual, and then to, to bring this back into this military civilian, and, and what does any of this have to do with being a neurosurgeon? I can tell you, <laughs> if, if a nurse says to me on a day that I'm doing a 360 um, uh, L5S1 spondylolysis case, do you want a Foley? I have failed as a leader. I, I have, I, that reflects on me. If, mm -hmm. if I have to give the order, yes, put a Foley in, then I have not given the, 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 the shared vision, the shared consciousness is not there. That means that my, my whole, my team is not a team. Um, and, and I, and that's something that I have, a, I have adapted because I, I saw this, if, if we kept that, that, uh, we're not going to move our unit forward to react to a roadside bomb um, until we get an order from uh, CENTCOM, uh, which is it, it, all of a sudden you're, 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 you're not empowering your units who have eyes on the, the situation as close to the fray as possible. You're not empowering them to make a decision where they can pivot and actually make a difference. And it was Stanley McChrystal's philosophical view to create a team of teams to get rid of the hierarchy gradient that allowed the success that we were able to achieve in uh, in Iraq. And I think, and that, that goes for uh, whether you look at corporate America, whether you look at uh, Russia and Ukraine, or whether you look at, uh, again, I, the, the example is uh, managing, if the nurse is asking, do you want a Foley? As a leader, I have failed. It's the 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 view is empowered execution shared consciousness uh it, it's it's sharing information uh and and the relationships with the individuals taking the time with that nurse going this is why this is why we want to foley anytime we do an alif this is why we don't want to fully when uh if they're asking me if i want to foley when i'm doing a single level acdf i have failed again we don't want to foley right. in that circuit right so that um that is the and and that's how i the lens that i view things uh because i saw uh the team of teams in play when when i was forward uh and and in and during my time in the service i saw that was my my ability to make a decision on whether or not someone needed to have a, a medevac or not uh I, I i'm not calling uh you know people who are far removed from dealing with the situation i was empowered to make a decision, yes, this guy stays, this guy goes. Right. It, you know, what you're describing is a far cry from, you know, there's not to reason why there's but to do and die, which is, I, I think, the, you know, the, the traditional, as you said, kind of the, the impression that civilians may have of this rigid hierarchical chain of command structure that it, it sounds like uh, the military is moving away from. Um, but I, I must imagine that either in the field in a military setting um, during a surgery or in a true emergency in a medical setting, there are moments where you're treading that fine line between 
you want to stop, you want to explain, you want to have that shared consciousness and educate everyone in the room, be it the scrub tech, be it the circulating nurse, be it your resident who you're training. And so part of the relationship with the resident isn't just getting through this situation for the patient, but is educating them on your decision-making and on why you're doing everything as they grow into a full neurosurgeon. So how do you walk that fine line in a setting of true urgency or true risk, be it to the patient on your table, be it to yourself and your teammates in a military operation? How do you find that proper point of discrimination between let's stop and all fully understand why this has to happen and, well, this really has to happen right now? Yeah. So uh, it, it's, an, it's an excellent question. The, and I can think, you know, you survey the landscape when you, when you get, you're, you're getting a sense of the individuals that are around you. And when you, when you see an unfamiliar face, I mean, you've got to all of a sudden accept the, the reality that you're up against there with saying, okay, maybe this person is not familiar with the way we do things. Maybe someone called in sick or with a new unit, obviously you're, you're, we'd always have, there's always, no one's born knowing any of this. Uh, and yeah. you, you, you have to actually see the, the team, uh, you have to, you have to be through the experience. But for example, um, when you, when you have a, let's go back to, um, our realm. So you have a vascular injury in a, in a, uh, what is otherwise routine ALIF. That now, um, you have to have your contingency plans in place. You have to have your um, your vascular repair uh, kit ready to go. You have to do all this contingency planning because you're in the process. You, 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 the manure has hit the air conditioning, and now you need to take mm -hmm. action. And, and you need to uh, also uh, demonstrate to those around you that you're, you're in control. You need The first thing you need to do is take your own pulse. But th there is times where an individual is sitting there looking you cross-eyed, and and so you have to have that contingency plan. You look, look, top, uh, top back corner is our vascular repair kit with the pledgets. Your vascular surgeon is tamponading the, the the iliac vein. It's a catastrophic situation, which can that can go either way because as we all know, those tears can <laughs> small tears can become big tears. The next thing you know, you got fifteen hundred cc's of blood loss and a hypotensive patient than what should have been an otherwise you know routine. Uh, event so your capacity to to walk through that and yes it's th that is not in, hopefully it's not a circumstance that anyone has a significant amount of of experience with it it happens rarely and and at that point we as as the uh, leader of that uh, that dire circumstance need to need to start saying okay we're going to go Here's our next step. Here, here's our next. We we have to take this step by step, as opposed to saying, "Hey, I anticipate that you guys know everything that's going to happen to get us to the next step here." Because obviously, uh, controlling a uh, situation, whether it's it's uh, securing a perimeter uh, after a uh, an IED blast, or if it's repairing that uh, that, that iliac vein. Uh, not everyone is going to have that that uh, that shared consciousness of how to go step by step. Routine uh, circumstances are one thing. It's when uh, when when circumstances take a turn for the worse, where we do have to, where a more traditional hierarchy circumstance for to get you to the next step uh, is needed. Right, and uh, as always, prior planning prevents poor performance. Um, I, I think one realm where. And again, I, I may be wrong, but one realm where I might again expect a stark difference between the military 
and civilian hospital settings would be um, maybe not disobedience, but um, you know, when a subordinate is not executing your orders. So I guess drawing from your experience now working in, in the civilian realm in a hospital, but also going back to your military experience, when you have someone beneath you in the chain of command in either setting, um, but I guess for our listeners in, in, in a hospital setting within neurosurgery, again, be it a resident, be it uh, the circulating nurse while you're scrubbed and you need something, or uh, someone is questioning the instructions you've given, um, how do you handle that situation? And in what ways do, have you found that it differs from a military setting? Yeah, so in the military setting, we have something called EMI, extra military instruction, which uh, will convince any any uh, individual that uh, following the orders is a very good idea. <laughs> um, the uh, and but uh, the that, that circumstance in the military is exceptionally rare. And then you right. you have to actually drill down exactly what is it. Uh, where have we failed as leaders? Uh, where, where did we fail in communication? Uh, and then there, there are some people, as we all know, that are just not cut out for it, right? That this, is, this isn't working. Uh, it's not going to work. That's something that if there's something that I identified very quickly as I went through training, when it was identified that a circumstance was not going to work, uh, the military makes no uh, holds no bar with cutting dead weight. The, the right. dead weight is cut. It's done. Um, and it, with finality, with finality, there's no lingering. Uh, that is something which uh, I don't think is. Uh, I think we, we, we may find ourselves trying to um, salvage or uh, an unsalvable, unsalvageable situation. Uh, and I think that that is a stark contrast from uh, the military to the civilian uh, sector. Uh, and I think that's some one thing that we we do need to consider whether or not that has a more definitive role, because at the end, in the realm of neurosurgery, everything, the most central, the most important thing we do uh, is patient safety. And right. uh, patient safety is first and foremost. And it is in it, when when something does not appear to be working, then perhaps there there is a need for for closure or redirection. Uh, we do have forms of EMI uh, in in the civilian sector, and that is to say, okay, hey, look, this is a salvageable situation. You you are a good clinician. You are a good surgeon. Where did we? How, how do we? Uh, how do we remediate this situation? And identifying that, there, and at times it 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 it'll be something. Um, readily, it, it, is it is it organizational? Is it uh, is, is it wherewithal? It, is it uh, understanding that individual's responsibilities? Uh, didn't clamp the lumbar drain? Um, you know, uh, didn't 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 check the pressure meter in a recompression chamber? I mean, that that could be dire. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, and and it's also uh, what a lot of what we do. There 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 is a certain um, algorithmic nature to it. And, and what part of the algorithm did we miss? What did we not, uh, what, what was our, Atul uh, Gawand wrote a book, Checklist Manifesto, which, uh, I mean, to a certain extent, 
the, 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 what pilots go through before taking off a plane is, is similar to our, our timeout or call to order before surgery. Have, have we minded our P's and Q's? Have we marked the right side of the, the symptomatic side of the, of the patient? Have, have, does the name match the consent? Does, it cons- does the imaging match the, con- et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And so if we crystallize it down to its core elements, uh, it is incumbent upon us to make sure that our subordinates recognize that the system is there to protect uh, all of us, regardless of the circumstance we're in, whether whether we are treating a dive casualty, whether we're securing a perimeter after an IED explosion, whether we are uh, doing a routine uh, 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 microdiscectomy on on an elective patient, these systems are in place, and it is uh, when we're looking at training uh, the next generation of of neurosurgeons, it's it's showing them look, this system works. There's an adage that we had in the military: don't think you're going to hurt the team. And it's all about the team. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because you you draw that parallel between the military and the civilian neurosurgery selection process. And, and as we're sitting here talking, it's early December, we're in the middle of interview season for neurosurgery residency. I, I wonder where you see this starkest divide between those two systems, because as you uh, wisely observe, Oftentimes, the main determinant for a problem with a subordinate being insubordinate, if you will, is the fact that they may be inappropriate for that setting. And so there's the screening process, there's the actual selection process, the match for us, and then there's everything after the selection process where, you know, you may have to deal with someone who, through their own fault, through no fault of their own, as a systems failure, made it through that selection process when they weren't cut out for that environment be it military, be it a neurosurgical resident. So where do you think um, the starkest divide is between those two realms? Is it on the very front end with the screening and selection process? Is it how we handle uh, people who made it through but might not be a good fit? Uh, What do you think is the starkest divide? You know, and that's, I mean, that's what that's what training is for, uh, because part of part of training is to identify uh, that that circumstance that you cannot it's hard to screen for i mean the the, the naval special warfare community has done a a a, a inc- has invested a tremendous amount to find who's going to be successful uh in it, it, going through a buds program because the, the you don't want to invest all of these energies and and have someone not finish same thing for a neurosurgery program and the reality is you can only take that so far um, and again, it, it's it's identifying in the military when something's not salvageable, uh, it, the, the issue is closed with finality. In the civilian sector, I, understandably so, and it's not as draconian, but it we, we, we do make the attempt, okay, is this salvageable? Can we redirect uh, into something where, where they're, they're not going to be under those circumstances? You know, when a, a dear friend of mine um, who I served with, uh, Commander Dana DeCoster, uh, he was he was grilled uh, by by Congress with regards to how come we don't have uh, women making it through the buds program, um, and he goes, well, we can we can have people we can have women finish the buds program, but we haven't met our if we, we we need we either create a seal or we don't. If you want someone to finish, uh, then we're creating something other than what our criteria. Uh, what meets our criteria. 
And so, yeah. uh, and so they, the, the issue is, is it, it's, this is, this is the metric that needs to be met. If it's not met, then it doesn't matter. Um, you know, if you're six foot two, five foot eight, um, if, 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 uh, what your chromosomal makeup is, you either do it or you don't. Um, there's a pull-up requirement, a push-up requirement. There's uh, the run requirement that you have to go through the O course. I mean, these things are just these are these are metrics. You don't make it through in, in dive school. Uh, if you don't do six pull-ups, you don't you don't get a dive pin. It's it's hmm. as simple as that. It doesn't matter what your <laughs> what um, what your makeup is. Uh, you, you have to you have to do the the swim, the run, the pull-up, um, the push-up, and you have to do it in a certain amount of time. Uh, and then you have to make it through dive school, uh, much in the same way in, in the special warfare community, you have to make it through buds. Uh, and the, we have, and then it, but it, it is in the process of the training where you recognize this is, this is salvageable. We, we can, we can address this, we can fix this, um, or th this is just not going to work. Um, and I think we, we see circumstances like that. Uh, in, in we, we have to because no screening system can be can be perfect. It's the, we, we can't assess how someone is going to react to the stresses, to the pressures, to the workload, uh, to the circumstances uh, of of any training environment, uh, wh whether it's neurosurgery or whether it's orthopedics, general surgery, uh, whether it's dive school, whether it's flight school, wh whatever whatever that circumstance may be. And there are some people that uh, at times need to be uh, to rec help get help recognizing maybe this isn't the best direction. And there are talents and skills can be used in a different realm. Hmm. Well, Dr. Tumi Alon, I, I want to respect your time, but while I have you, if I could try to squeeze one last pearl from you, um, I wonder if you could recall for our listeners um, your most difficult order. And I'll, I'll try to make it broad enough for you, military or hospital, uh, giving or receiving this order. But can you recall just the the most difficult order you've had to cope with on either end yeah that's a that, that's a tough one um and i i would have to say th these are the the uh there has to be has to be the end of life uh issues that we we deal with where mm. uh we 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 end up uh, you, you have someone saying, okay, I, I've got this 88 year old individual with a blown pupil. I'm I'm shaving his head. I'm taking him to the OR, um, and w w there's no family. There's no advanced directives. And I said, just just hold. Don't sh don't don't shave the head. Let me get there and survey the situation. Uh, mm. And you're 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 struggling with because if 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 you you, you take out that blood clot, uh, you've taken the pressure off the brain, uh, you're, you've potentially saved a life, um, or, or you, you've, you've created someone in the persistent vegetative state, you, you, you're agonizing with that, you don't have a lot of time. You've got you've to get there, you have to tell them, um, and again, this, this is, becomes a, a realm of just ha having done that, and then, then subsequently meeting with the family, saying, why, why did you guys do this? Um, and then, then you're in, in a, uh, in perhaps an even a more difficult situation, uh, and, and having uh, the well-intended individual, again, that talk about the shared consciousness where you have a, a, you have someone at the bedside who is assessing blown pupil, you know, centimeter and a half a shift, subdural hematoma, but then you, you, you listen to the whole story. This isn't a 32 year old. That's makes it a lot easier. But then you have the 88-year-old from a memory unit. All of a sudden, their circumstances change. You go, get, get, let me let me get to the bedside, 
And that, mm. that buys you time that you don't have, but it's, it's always agonizing because you don't have, you, you have to make a, a decision based on a, you're, you're scrolling through the images, uh, on, on your phone through the pack system. You're, 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 it's two o'clock in the morning. You're trying to get your wits about you and, and you're telling someone stop. And mm. that, that, that may have consequence. And then you, you, you get there and assess the situation. And then you, then you have to make the decision. Yes, we're going to go. In which case the decision you made only delayed, or it turns out that family has surfaced or the advanced directive has surfaced. And you said, this isn't, this isn't what they want. That's a circumstance that I, I believe that our specialty is in very often. It's a difficult circumstance. And that, that is an order that I, I, I always agonize with because we are dealing with these end of life circumstances that are, are so agonizing and, and we, we, there's downstream consequences and it's the, the mm -hmm. sanctity of human life is obviously the most central element of, to, to the practice of all of our, all of our fields and, and in all of our careers, that's what we do, the sanctity of life. But we want to honor the, and respect uh, the wishes of, of, of the patient uh, that, that is, is something which only recently I've, I've, I've had to struggle with and it. And after 14 years of doing this, it doesn't get any easier. Hmm. The well-intentioned individual, uh, describes us all. Well, Dr. Tumalilan, uh, thank you so much for your time coming back on the show. As I said, it's always a pleasure speaking with you in particular for this series, uh, sharing your unique experiences, walking in both worlds. Thank you for coming back on the show. Well, it was my privilege to be here, JP. Thank you for having me. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.